Greetings to our podcast audience. This is Radio Survivor. The for the love of radio and sound, the sound of strong communities. The year is 2022 so far. It's December and we're back uh in the feed. It might have been a while since you've heard our voices uh bringing you a fresh podcast. Uh I'm here with Paul Reismandel. Hello. And Jennifer Waits. Hi. Like glad we always to be are. Here. And <laughs> yes, Jennifer says it's nice to be here and um I wanted to do this intro uh, to the radio show. We're gonna we're gonna record a radio show here on, as we do, as we do when we radio show. Uh, but I wanted to podcast first because we're a little rusty. It's been, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been a, a hiatus year for Radio Survivor as far as uh, regular recordings of our program. And I wanted to, uh, I, I personally, I wanted to sit down with with Paul and Jennifer and work out the cobwebs in my head. Uh, before we record our radio show today, it sounds like All a good of our idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, our last um, our last recording was in July, so right. it's been a few months since we've gotten together. We had a, a little flurry of episodes in the summer, a few in the spring, um, but it, it's been kind of sporadic. And and interestingly, we had a long break after we recorded a show that was about burnout. <laughs> And of course, I've had an opportunity every week to sort of um, check in with our collective project as I prepare the, 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 the rebroadcast, the rerun episodes for our affiliate stations who have been, uh, as far as we know, airing, we've been airing each week on, uh, you know, across the country in a, in a number of places that, that have always aired us. And so, and so I've always sort of... Um, personally like remained connected to that to that work like I as as you know I haven't done any um I haven't worked the phones as it were to reach out to our affiliates to find out how they are doing so other than the local affiliate to where I live uh x-ray where I know that we're airing every week uh I can only assume that the the work I'm putting out up onto the cloud out into the ether is is airing but um well, I can report that I heard <laughs> I heard Radio Survivor when I was visiting WGXC in um, New York, yeah. Wa- Wave Farm, mm-hmm. longtime affiliate, and um, I was staying at Wave Farm uh, in a room above the study center, and of course they have radios everywhere in all the rooms, and and so I heard it was very surreal and kind of uh, meta, but I heard the Radio Survivor show over the radio while at Wave Farm, so. They're airing it. Yeah. Which can... episode did you hear? It was an episode I wasn't a part of. Um, it was, um, you guys were interviewing somebody who is a WFMU DJ and also, um, uh, you know, like an archivist. I'm... Oh, yeah. Ken. Ken, yeah. yeah former WFMU uh, Gold, uh, Goldsmith, right? Yes. Yes, it was that Kenneth Goldsmith. You know, I heard the exact same episode on X-Ray uh, here, driving home f- after dropping or my wife off at the airport. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's funny we were both hearing the same episode, so, which would have been the same week since it is in sequence there, um, and it was it's delightful. <laughs> I I took I, I meant to send it to you. I I took a video. I think of I took a video or made an audio sample of it because I was going to share it with you guys because I thought it was really, really fun. I mean. You might think that all of this is old hat for us, but it it is, it is kind of exciting when you hear 
um, Radio Survivor on the radio. Right. Um, you know, I I enjoy it. Yeah, and I'm uh, I feel like I'm listening to uh, someone else these days. I don't even recognize myself as as such. I I mean, I recognize uh, my voice. I don't recognize my brain. It's it seems like uh, some of these episodes now are are uh, were produced by a different or, or co-produced by a different version of myself. But it's um it's still nice to uh, to check back in with Radio Survivor and and remember like what 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 the collective show like what what the values are of the show and and why why we've done the work and to hear to hear these episodes um out into the world and yet of course uh most listeners will be you know i mean obviously maybe somewhere in radio land there's someone who's heard us twice but for some reason the uh the the fictional listener in my head is always stumbling on our show for the first time it's probably getting more and more rare, but to me, that's that's how I think of it. So I, I'm always assuming that someone's hearing, hearing an interview uh, with, with someone who cares about non-commercial media and and collectively produced, uh, you know, community, community media, uh, for the first time. Yeah, I think you know it's interesting to me because you know. Many radio programs, especially in public radio, that have a long life, you know, recombobulate their past segments into new programs. You know, something like This American Life might have an older segment mixed in with a newer one, or it will be a, a pure repeat. But I, and I'm really glad we're not turning into car talk. Yeah. All, all of us still walk the earth. <laughs> and it is not the ghostly guffaws of the of the deceased <laughs> who are being repeated. Well, and Car Talk's such a weird one because of the fact that it's a call-in show and then they're not opening the phones to any new humans. Right. That, and they're not dealing, and cars are not frozen in time, uh, so everybody's car is a part of the most up-to-date technology. And, right. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, indeed. And I think, you know... We, radio will not stay still as a technology, even if no, it involves but, at a slightly different but rate. Luckily, a lot of our past episodes are about the past. And, That's right. And in the it, it it takes a long time for the past to become obsolete. It happens. Right. It's only it's oh, it's only it's really that the that the received history becomes yeah. obsolete. So obviously, and, and and revised. When I select, you know, it'd be fun to to be more systematic. But when I select a rebroadcast of Radio Survivor each week, uh, there are there are time dated episodes that I skip over wistfully. I wonder what they sound like, and I go straight to the ones that I know are more evergreen in nature and where where the audience can still hear something that we recorded two years ago, three years ago, last year. And um, uh, there's quite a lot of those because uh, Radio Survivor does have a, a, a historical framework, a lens looking back that, uh, that remains relevant even, even if the interviews were recorded uh, in the middle of the beginning of pandemic as opposed to the end of the middle of pandemic. Right. Well, and I think those... Those episodes that are of a particular moment of time, especially the beginning of the pandemic, that probably you're not re-airing, um, those are such important historic documents about yeah. what was happening. And, you know, I feel like it's probably time for me to listen back to those and remember what those moments were like. And I'm so glad that we were creating new episodes at the time and capturing 
what was happening is radio stations were trying to figure out, you know, how to navigate this new world where maybe not all of the staff could be in the studio. And, you know, a lot of places have changed and really adapted and have um, a different approach to broadcasting now because of that. But right at the beginning, um, you know, and and we'll talk about it more on the radio show, too, because I just visited some college radio stations and I talked to all of them about what it was like. Yeah. Well, to be living through the pandemic. Jennifer, on that note, I think it's time to start the radio show. So that can be the first question that we throw to you. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, here I go. Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Jennifer Waits. Oops. I'm Paul Reeswindel. Sorry, we didn't work out who would go in. <laughs> that happens we... every time, and I knew that was going to happen. Jennifer's going to go first, and Paul's going to go Okay, second. I'm going to have a little splutter. I'm leaving that in. I'm leaving that in the podcast. <clears throat> Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein. Hi, I'm Jennifer Waits. And I'm Paul Reismandel. And on today's episode, Jennifer Waits is back from touring radio stations in December of 2022, which is a very special event here on Radio Survivor because it's the first time that Jennifer Waits has um, has conducted one of her radio station tours since the pandemic. So it's been a... It's uh, it must a have few been, years. <laughs> it must have been bittersweet, Jennifer, to get back on the road and go visit radio stations. Um, you you were able to visit a number of stations this time around. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely not bittersweet. It was very exciting. Um, I had last visited radio stations in the summer of 2019 on my trip to Hawaii, <laughs> which also like that seems like, you know. Uh, kind of a last hurrah sort of trip before a few months before COVID. Um, but yeah, here in November, 2022, I, I made a trip out to New York and visited four radio stations. So, um, you know, it was very exciting to get my planning muscles all situated again. <laughs> um, Cause that's part of what I enjoy about it is the logistics of how many stations can I squeeze into a trip? Right, and regular listeners to Radio Survivor will be very familiar with Jennifer Waits's radio station tours and the reasons uh, to visit a station, but I think it'd be fun to remind listeners once again, especially someone who might be hearing us for the first time on the radio, and maybe, Paul, you can help me frame this question right, because I'd rather, I'd rather toss to you first and then go to Jennifer. Paul, like, why, why are Jennifer's radio station tours, uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> why are they important? Why why should we care about them? Yeah. Uh we should care about them because you know, the types of stations that Jennifer visits are are college radio stations, high school radio stations, community radio stations, and each is sort of very unique and 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 and, and often they're very storied. They have long-lasting histories that that aren't always easily captured or researched honestly and that's much of the work that Jennifer has done uh to 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 capture it both in terms of audio and podcasts as well as as publishing tours and articles uh about about different stations and each has a different culture and really you know we hope reflects both uh their local communities you know which which and there can be many constituencies there students faculty, community members, musicians, artists, 
uh, and other constituencies within a community. And and each so each one says something about these communities and 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 also highlights I think the relationship of radio as a medium to actual communities, to people, and, and creativity in, in a way that has often uh, been lost in commercial broadcasting at this point, where programming, even if it isn't explicitly syndicated, is much more likely now to be programmed at regional levels, uh, to be automated, to have fewer local hosts, in some cases no hosts, uh, at some hours of the day. Um reflecting a little less local uh, culture than it than it had you know even 20 years ago and certainly certainly 40 years ago so often a community college uh, and public radio stand as, as different sort of media outlets um, and and so I think Jennifer's work helps us to sort of understand them as as unique but also sort of th- your, your work always threads together the things which which kind of tie them as 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 a medium as well. Very well stated. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Um, yeah, so I mean, I've been writing about college radio culture since 2008. And and early in that project, I, I had a couple goals in mind when I started blogging about college radio, I wanted the broader world to understand that college radio still exists and was important. But I also wanted um, college radio stations to hear stories about other stations, because from my experience uh, working in college radio at a number of places, often things are very insular and people, um, you know, are working, busy working the day to day, you know, doing all the day to day stuff at a station and often don't know what other radio stations are doing. And, um, and, and when people meet people from other radio stations, often they're very excited and learn things from them. And, and, you know, every time I visit a radio station, I'm learning things. So I wanted to kind of pass that along to other people by sharing these stories from different radio stations so that there could be this collective learning about, you know, college radio culture. So you know, it's. I, I wanted to kind of, if I can follow up real quick yeah, yeah. on that, Jennifer, because I think another function that's really important is, you know, I think we hope that we're serving people who are in radio, in and around radio, as well as listeners and enthusiasts. Because my experience often has been in community stations and college stations, there is a, they can be sort of atomic. And, and there's a limited networking between these stations in many ways. So even if there are formal, like, kind of associations of collaborations like college broadcasters incorporated or um, the national federation of community broadcasters you know very often it's only a select number of staff members or volunteers who who participate in these larger kind of collaborations you know often just for for real practical reasons right and therefore i think your ability to tie it together and, and and actually the real function of you going to these stations right is is there too in that it it sort of my experience has been that often the, the volunteers djs programmers are, aren't really aware that they sit within a larger context that you know their stations are unique to them and they and what they do and they may understand why their station is unique where they are and unique maybe compared to other stations on the dial but aren't always aware that there are so many other college stations so many other community stations that are similar 
in sort of the flexibility and freedom and creativity, even if the programming can differ pretty widely. And 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 I think the, the final follow-up I have is you visiting the stations is validation, right? That you pay attention to them, treat them as uh, institutions worthy of note, worthy of documentation, and worthy of sharing outside of their communities, I think also provides that sense that that they are doing something larger and that it, and it has a, a larger import even if the the focus on their local communities may be primary most of the time. Yeah, and I definitely hear that uh, when I visit radio stations and sometimes people are really excited and on one of these visits somebody's like I hope you don't mind that I kind of like looked you up <laughs> like that's okay so it's it thrills me when I arrive and people have have told me that they've been digging around on Radio Survivor reading other station reports um and I you know I've talked to people who have been <coughs> making changes to their studio or starting a new radio station and I know that they've looked at some of these college radio station tours to help them kind of imagine like, oh, okay, this is what a studio looks like. And, you know, maybe I can try things this way. So I, I do think of it as this important archive, hopefully, um, you know, an archive of what's been happening in college radio during the 21st century. And, and, and that's, you know, that's part of why I'm a bit obsessive about it. I'd like to visit as many radio stations as I can. So it's been kind of a bummer, you know, for all of us to really be <clears throat> living in these more sort of insular worlds the past few years. Um, and stations themselves, a lot of them have really placed restrictions on who can come in and out of the doors, like not just visitors like me, but, you know, there's some stations that aren't even really letting in um, outsiders generally, you know, aren't necessarily having bands come in to play on the air. Some may still have restrictions on community volunteers, um, like some college radio stations, I think, uh, became more restrictive about having only students. Um, so and it seemed like it felt like this this opportunity in November was kind of the right time. Um, it felt like Stations were probably going to let me in the in their doors in November 2022, and and that was the case. You know, I was able to visit four radio stations, and it it definitely felt like things had shifted, that things are starting to open up, and uh, you know, and I'm seeing this. You know, it's like I hate to say renaissance or rebirth, but it you know, you see this in college radio, especially student run stations, like even without a pandemic, um, you see ebb and flow with different students that, you know, stations go through periods of where there, there's a lot of, you know, strong leadership and lots of activity, lots of student involvement, and then other periods where things seem to be on the verge of death, you yeah. know, and <clears throat> well, Jennifer, you've, you said you visited uh, four stations, right on this on this yes. journey this in November of 2022 uh prior to the holiday season uh, kicking off so the schools were were open available let's let's start with uh let's start with one station where where maybe you got that sense of of the of this uh, so-called uh, renaissance of college radio that you were just referring to yeah so my first visit you know the first visit 
after a few years, um, was at university at Albany. It's, um, it's a SUNY school in Albany. WCDB FM is the radio station there. So I visited there, um, you know, like within like an hour and a half of landing in Albany. (laughs) Um, so I rented my car and drove to the radio station at night and, and the station was kind of a buzz with activity. Um, it was a Wednesday night and they have on Wednesday nights, they have kind of an open training session. So there were a bunch of people in the studio who were learning how to do radio. Um, they were preparing for a big fall concert that they were hosting at a club in Albany in a couple days. So they were printing out flyers for that when I was there and, and just doing all the last minute logistics. Um, and, you know, it just felt like the place was alive and, you know, and in talking to them, I know that it wasn't really alive during the pandemic and, you know, there were restrictions and, um, but it, it, it feels like that gave them an opportunity to kind of change a few things at the station too. Like one of the most inspiring things to me was learning that the station, um, now like the, the people who are involved with the station feel more reflective of the campus community. It's much more diverse, feels more diverse to the leadership than it did when they started before the pandemic. Um, and the, the general manager was saying that, you know, she wasn't really seeing people who look like her when she joined and, and now it seems more diverse. And, and that's something that in visiting and talking to radio stations, I know a lot of places struggle with, you know, how do we have a station that, um, you know, has people of all colors, you know, women and men, a variety of ages. And a lot of people just like, a lot of stations just seem to have a real struggle with figuring out how to change kind of the entrenched population who's in the radio station. And, and what I learned from them is that they decided that college radio historically can be very gatekeepery. That was some of the language they were using with me. And, um, and so they decided, you know, the way that the station is going to be more interesting and have more interesting programming is if they decide to not be gatekeepers and to be incredibly welcoming to anyone and not have this sort of attitude about, you know, you have to like the cool music, according to me. Um, And this is probably something that feels familiar to a lot of you. Like I remember being, uh, you know, going to a meeting for one of the stations I was, one of the college stations I DJed at, and we, we had to fill out index cards and write down a list of some of our favorite bands. And I wrote down like some very like underground cool bands. And I remember the program director, like calling me up by name, like, Oh, who's, who's Jennifer Waits. And, and I got like the total nod of approval because I had the cool bands on there. So like for me, like, okay, I was like acknowledged and that worked, but there's a flip side of that where other people probably felt, you know, shamed if they didn't have a cool band on their card. So I think it's very interesting that um, WCDB at University at Albany is, is taking this approach of being less gatekeepery, more open-minded and just like um, being a place that's welcoming of everybody and um, not being so precious maybe about the air sound. And, and because of that, they feel like they have now, they have people hanging out at the station. Um, 
They have all kinds of interesting shows. So that that I found to be really inspiring to hear that story. You know, you mentioned that you came, they were having training. So is that training sort of ongoing? It sounded right. Is that what you said that they do it kind of frequently training people how to be on the air? Yeah, it's like a drop in training session every Wednesday, every Wednesday night. I think that's fascinating, right? Because I think there's a lot of, you know, you mentioned sort of dropping the gatekeep keeping or, or trying to reduce it, right? And that's, you know, often while that's gatekeepery, I think in, in the realm of, you know, existing in, in, in a saturated mainstream media environment, in many cases in the past, it also functioned as a differentiator. It is defensive, right? You know, and I'm just looking, thinking back historically with college radio and reading um, treatises, say, in the 70s and 80s, and I think you're familiar with this, Jennifer, when um, college radios could be threatened, stations could be threatened sometimes because they sounded too much like mainstream radio. And so an administrator would sort of question, well, why are we replicating something that you hear on the local rock station, the same artist and music? What what function does that play? I remember in the proceeding that got rid of ten, Class D stations, 10-watt stations back in 1978, part of the argument against the Class D stations was they merely replicate existing radio formats more amateurishly. Right. And so because part of the reasoning there was that the way should be made for more professionally run public service stations, ostensibly uh, public stations. Right. So that's kind of worked against college radio in particular in some ways in the past. And I think in that era that maybe you and I came up with, because I experienced the same gatekeeperism, uh, you know, in in the late 80s, Um, you know, and I I liked metal. And that was sort of like acceptable, but not acceptable in a way. Right. Because it wasn't really mainstream, the kind of metal I liked. But certainly the punk and alternative kids looked down their nose at metal as well. Like it was, we will, we'll, you could have your little few hours here or there, but we don't, we don't consider it to be the same, you know, uh, Black Sabbath is not Black Flag, right? It's essentially, which would have been an argument. Um, and in, in some ways you can understand it because of, of trying to differentiate and not turn into just sort of the college version of, of that. But I think, you know, a lot has changed in the intervening 30 years as well in the culture, in radio, you know, and and, and, and the diversity that I think people now consume on the Internet, whether it's through a TikTok or YouTube, in that, in, whether it's music or music adjacent, right, using music kind of changes things up a lot now. Right. And and I think it's it's useful to to note that you know, what may have been somewhat more defensible. I don't want to just say it was absolutely necessary 30 years ago. The context has changed now in 2022. Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad you're talking about genres too, um, because that was another thing that came up at at University of Albany at WCDB was, um, I think young people are used to kind of embracing a variety of genres and but also having an identifier. So um, the training director there, DJ Castro, was talking about how he arrived and he was just kind of a hip hop person. Um, and now he's a total metalhead too. And so like being at the station, you know, talking to people at music, getting exposed to all kinds of things. Um, and they also talked about another guy who arrived as a metalhead who now has a doo-wop show. So I love that that college radio can have that function too, where 
yeah, you don't have to be, you can be open to a variety of genres and, um, and, and he and the general manager both talked about uh, how subgenres are so important to them at the station, which I thought was cool that they, they like digging into kind of um, all these little niches within music. I wonder, Jennifer, did the S word ever come up? Because this year, more than ever, I'm I'm very aware now of the uh, it's like like i mean i'll just i'll just out my my teenage son uh to him the music that he cares about and the music that he loves and the music that he listens to is one platform one app on his phone dare i mention it that doesn't need any more free advertisement from the likes of me who sometimes posts about the genres of music i enjoy on my facebook uh, advertising this particular company but I imagine that that these days when a young person comes to a college radio station they they're not coming with a CD collection they're it's all it's all playlists on their phone. Yeah, I mean and that's how some people do their radio shows. Um so I heard you know, I so I visited four stations. So I did hear some people mention that, you know, people might have been playing their shows off of, you know, digital sources. Um but on the contrast, I also heard from some people who talked about how radio is still important even in the era of s as you say (laughs) um and uh, you know even if they offered us money i don't think we would take it so i just uh (laughs) right and and dj castro who i mentioned the training director at at wcdb he talked about how you know college radio is important for you know exposing or, you know, for giving a platform for up and coming bands. And he seems to see that that's continuing today. And, um, and he also talked about kind of the, the tradition of college radio and that he, he looks back to people like Flavor Flav and, um, Stretch and Bobbito, like college radio DJs, um, from the past who he saw, um, you know, doing that function, functioning in that way and, and feels like he's part of that that legacy, which I think is really cool for a 19 year old to kind of be talking about this legacy of college radio and, and how he's situated in it. That's wonderful. And did they think at all in any way about how to make the case to their, to their peers that they should switch from this one particular app that their parents still might be footing the bill for to, to, to tune into the radio? Where you know, because all they can hear all of these songs whenever they want to. You it's know, probably the... an and rather than an or, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it would be for me too. I mean, I, you know, I use a streaming service and and I, and I listen to the radio, so I, you know, I don't think that they have to be exclusive. Yes, but it's uh, it's easier for you who we grew up with radio first, and so the convenience of sure. the thing doesn't supersede the nostalgia and the the value that we know exists. I'm, I'm just wondering how, uh, how a teenager yeah. wades through that these days. I mean, yeah, we didn't have that specific conversation, but I was having some of the terrestrial radio, you know, FM, like FM radio, because a few, yeah, three of the four stations I visited are on FM, but also streaming. Um, and, and one, um, one station I visited W. XBC at Bard College. Um, they you can hear their shows on Mixlr. Is that how you pronounce it? 
M I X L X R. Um, it's a, you know, it's an online platform. Um, but there was a station, there's a station, um, now I'm forgetting the whole, uh, the context of it, but there was a station where, um, you couldn't listen online currently. Um, and so I was talking, I was trying to wrap my head around like how people, you know, they, the stream wasn't working and young people don't really listen to terrestrial radio. So I was trying to get my head around and ask people about what it was like to do a radio show. You know, are, do you have an audience? <laughs> like, is there anybody listening in mm-hmm. the student population if the stream's not working? And, um, and it was hard to get a read on that, which I thought was kind of weird and mm. fascinating, but it might also be that in this sort of social media world, sometimes you have fans and friends who, you know, like it seems like they're listening, but they're not really. They're just kind of liking your posts. And and it sounds like some people in this particular case might have been doing Instagram Live because um, sure. the stream wasn't working. Pirate pirate radio. Yeah. Well, and they might listen in cars. There's still uh, yeah. current data still shows that young people still listen to broadcast in, in, in vehicles like that's yeah. still pretty pretty common I did want to circle back uh, for one thing uh, before we move on to another station here uh, talking about WCDB uh, at University at Albany um, that drop in training really struck me right because if there's like you mentioned you know it's all in the in the spirit of trying to minimize the gatekeeping so if there's cultural gatekeeping is what we normally associate, right? There is also that technical gatekeeping. And often that's more instrumental, right? I don't, you know, but, and, and can also serve as a leveling device, meaning having the training means that it does not necessarily provide an advantage for somebody who comes in maybe already with some technical audio skills. But to have drop-in training, like, removes another barrier because, you know, it means that you don't have to necessarily commit to this one time that maybe only occurs like once a semester or once every so often, right? Because very often I think it's just people take by default, we'll have a big meeting, everybody comes and learns about the station, and that's the place where maybe you sign up for your training and maybe they're smaller. But like if you miss that moment, you're out of luck for a semester or maybe a full academic year, depending on the station and to sort of create that drop in opportunity. Right. And maybe to be more fluid and not necessarily be so strict about timing. Like that's another type of, of gatekeeping. And, you know, honestly, you know, it's only, I would say probably just tradition and habit why stations often will organize these things. Not because they've really thought about it. Right. And, 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 and sort of uh, rethinking, you know what it means to to orient people to a radio station and get them involved. I think I think that's very clever at the very least, but but potentially very powerful in a college radio environment, especially since in in, in so many stations you do have that ebb and flow of this year. There's a lot of people being involved in other years not, and sometimes there's a tendency to say, well, just students aren't interested, and and not think about well, what are the mechanisms that might be uh, providing speed bumps. Right or, or or making it more difficult for for people to participate, and I love this idea of having more of a drop in training and, and allowing it to be uh, less uh, f- or, or less formalized in a particular way, shall we say? 
I think it probably also gives the impression that the station is a place you can drop into and hang mm-hmm. out at, which like mm-hmm. I saw, you know, there were, I don't know, maybe seven or more people crammed into a small studio for drop-in training. <laughs> and then there were other people just hanging out on couches in another room. Um, so I would guess that having the drop-in training also kind of sets the stage for the culture at the station being a place where you can hang out. Um, so yeah, I thought that was, I, I agree with you. I thought that was a really cool idea. That was the voice of Jennifer Waits. You are listening to Radio Survivor and Jennifer is here uh, regaling us with the details of her recent travels to visit four radio stations in the New York State area. The first time that Jennifer has visited non-commercial community college radio stations uh, since the pandemic began low these many years ago. I'm afraid to put a, a, a month and a date on it because I always get it wrong. I can't remember uh, I can't remember what year it is practically. Uh, my name is Eric Klein. <laughs> With me is Paul Reismandel, who's also from Radio Survivor. And Jennifer, we've been talking about WCDB, the University at Albany uh, radio station. Let's move on to one of the next stations we should talk about. Yeah, I don't even know if I can do them all justice, but I think maybe, let's see, where should I go next? Um, I think the next one I want to talk about is WRUC. FM at Union College in Schenectady and and that's a station I've been wanting to visit for a long time because um, they have this lore about having one of the first college radio stations because they Mm. had a college radio station in the 1920s and I'd already been in contact um, over the years with an archivist there um, because I'm working on a presentation about student-run radio in the 1920s and so that I knew that that Union College was going to be a part of that uh, presentation. So I was super excited. And um, and so I spent a whole day there. I, I met up with people in the archives. And then I also toured the student radio station. So WRUC-FM. And, and then now after the trip, I've been kind of obsessing over a bunch of digital resources that I can access from home. So I've been looking at newspapers from the 1920s and yearbooks um, it was amazing. The, when we visited the archives, they pulled out scrapbooks for the radio club from the 1920s. And, and it's so tough for me to visit the archives when I have a limited amount of time, because there's so much I want to look at. Um, but we paged through some of these scrapbooks and, and it was letter after letter, people basically giving these reports of what they had heard. And at the time, of this scrapbook, it would have been an amateur radio station. So the station and that starting in 1920 at Union College, their amateur radio station was was sending out uh, broadcasts of music. So they actually borrowed records and played records. Um, and then other amateur radio operators tuned in and listened. So, you know, the hardcore, historians will say, well, this wasn't like a broadcast station at that point. Um, but, but reading through these newspaper reports, um, it's pretty incredible. And and some listeners were kind of having dance parties at home to the music. So it really was functioning like a broadcast radio station. And this is, uh, I mean, obvious to, to some radio survivor listeners and new information to others. It's, it's worth, it's worth reminding people that 1920 would be 
you know, more or less the very beginning of radio in the United States. And as, the, as broad, it's a broadcast medium rather yeah. than a sort of uh, strictly one-to-one communications medium. So when young people at this college radio station in Schenectady, New York in the 1920s were engaging in the creation of radio, they were they were really doing just that. They were really creating what radio uh, was in, you know, for, for, for the century. It's, uh, it's always very exciting to hear how, how people made radio in the 1920s, especially college, college radio. It's so exciting. And they, and they did have, so I haven't gotten to this point in my, uh, digging into newspaper articles, but, um, I think around 1920, 22, they got, um, a license for a broadcast radio station. So they also legitimately had a, a very early student licensed broadcast radio station, um, but I wanted to share with you some of the stuff that I've been uncovering. Um, a student newspaper report in October 1920 talked about how the radio club will be advertising the college, basically, and they're calling it, uh, the headline is, Radio Club Will Advertise Union by Aerial Phone, is what they're referring to it as, Aerial Phone. Um, and And so they talked about how using the amateur radio station, it was a way to advertise Union College to other people. Um, And so they they started doing these weekly broadcasts of music. Um, And at the end of the broadcast, they also had a call to amateur radio operators, who they assumed a lot of them were young people, um, telling them, hey, you should come to Union College for college uh, because you can learn about electrical engineering. So I thought that was fascinating. Um, And the same article said that, um, I'll quote, now that athletics are below par and their advertising value virtually lost, the radio club believes that its latest activity will help greatly in bringing union into prominence. Take (laughs) that, NCAA. Fascinating. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I also do research. I went to Haverford College and they... Students there started a radio station in 1923, and some newspaper reports about that the amateur station's activities were that, you know, they've received more press than all of the athletic teams combined. So it's interesting in both cases, this competition that um, these early radio stations saw with the athletic teams on campus, like it was a fight for publicity. Um, but then at Union, this idea that, uh, you know, having a radio station is a way to really bring more attention to your college. Um, so it's it's interesting, like, when you start researching this stuff, you end up learning things that you didn't realize that you were looking for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the value of, uh, of, of, of physically uh, being in a space, getting to, getting to touch documents as well, uh, and, and, and to talk to people. Uh, who did you meet when you were at this uh, Union College station in Schenectady? Well, so I met with uh, people in the archives, um, the main archivist, as well as other colleagues there. Um, And then I also met with the advisor for the college radio station and students from the college radio station. So it was kind of, um, you know, multiple things, like spent some specific specific time in the archives looking at stuff and then also talking to students Talked to somebody who had had a long history with the station, um, and and he was talking about all of these records, like vinyl records that they used to have that were all trashed and how they were all gotten rid of. 
and there's a student in the room who just looked crestfallen. And I sort of <laughs> like also was probably looking crestfallen, like, cause he was talking about this insane number of records. I'm like, how could they all be trashed? You know, like I was very skeptical and he's like, Oh, they were, <laughs> they really were. Um, so, but it's, there's always this kind of, um, you know, I started researching the history of college radio stations after, you know, hearing these stories about my own college radio station, getting rid of records, selling them off to fund a concert. Like there was a whole rumor about it. And I remember being really upset about it. Um, but the more I do research, the more I am, am more understanding about how you can't be so precious about your time at the station as that, as being, you don't want it to be, it can't be frozen in amber. Um, mm. But that's a lot of times how we feel as alums. We want to go back and see the records that we added. And, but, but stations are constantly changing and that has, the radio station has to be, has to serve the students who are there at a given time. Right. And you, you started off talking about union college's radio station as a, as a historical uh, special place where, where had as a history of a hundred years, but what kind of station uh, do they have in the present? Yeah, so they have um, a couple things. Um, they have a studio kind of in the middle of the student center that has windows facing out where people are eating and there are speakers so that you can blast people sitting there. And um, and this guy who had been involved with the station from way back, um, he revealed that he had first built that studio there because at the mm. time, and I don't know when it was, um, maybe the station was just maybe at a low point. And so he saw this space that used to be a, used to be like a video rental place <laughs> where people would go and get their videos. And he's like, Oh, this would be great for a radio studio. And so they built that there so that the station would have a, like a very um, prominent presence where, you know, people would see it. Um, I know and then that's they, one of your favorite, uh, 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 you know, what's a landscape or architectural features of, for college radio, for them, for a college radio station to have a window and uh, audio facing the, the the dining area is like a it's a very good opportunity for for this um, for the station to have a public uh, have have a have a public space where it can be heard and shared. Definitely, um, and interestingly, so I didn't see any DJs operating out of that studio when I was there. Um, and and I was told that they have the option of turning the speakers on or off. So a number, you know, a lot of DJs don't necessarily feel comfortable having the speakers <laughs> on. So that's that's up to them. The one time I froze on the radio, live on the radio, and just had complete dead air was when uh, a colleague of mine locked eyes with me <laughs> while I was trying to do my job, and the. That that surprise eye contact completely erased all sense of professionalism and and changed changed my uh, changed my radio persona. I know it's true. Bad. Yeah, I mean, often you have to just sort of be in a completely different headspace. Um, so, in addition to that studio, they've got um, an older studio that, like the the architecture of it, reminds me so much of of my own college radio station, you know, back from the eighties. Um, so in a, in a different floor of the building is the original space that has 
kind of like a three room studio where there's a broadcast booth and then um, a studio like space and then a lobby type space. And, and it sounds like they're, they're having talks about reconfiguring because it, uh, I think something is wrong. So they can't actually broadcast out of that studio currently. So, so things are a bit in transition, I would say, um, at WRUC. And um, I, I would have liked to have seen somebody DJing in that booth downstairs. I, I was told somebody was supposed to have a Bollywood show that was going to mm. be um, on around that time. And, and we were really looking forward to it, but, but didn't end up seeing anybody broadcasting. So, so interesting. Like I've been, I've been spending so much more time thinking about the past of WRUC and, um, and the, the present is a little bit murkier, although I did, I did get to have some interviews with students talking about the current state of the station and how things were, you know, as they transitioned through the pandemic. Um, and, and I think, I think it was a bit of a struggle for them. Yeah. So, I mean, speak, you know, you talking about not being able to see a DJ perform live radio, you know, while you were visiting reminds me that that's, uh, obviously this was a transition, uh, to, to time shifted radio work to, to DJs not being live on the radio has uh, been a long time coming decades in the making, but live radio, especially community radio really seems to, um, you know, I know when we talked to Ken Freeman at the very beginning of the pandemic, that was the one thing that he wanted to preserve the most, I think, was that uh, the sense that the DJ that you are hearing speak into the microphone and share records with you right now is actually sharing records with you right now. It's it's that immediacy uh, was important to WFMU's general manager at that time. And it still seems to be very complicated to pull off these days. You know, I'm, I'm always aware now listening to my community radio stations that uh, chances are that person recorded themselves uh, at home like a day or two earlier. Well, and even, and even before 2020 college radio stations might not have a full schedule of live DJs. So, you know, I wasn't always seeing somebody live on the air when I visited, even before this trip. Um, but yeah, I don't think I saw anybody who was live on the air. And um, at one station, you know, in some cases I was visiting early in the morning. So like chances are at a college radio station, that's going to be a time when you might not see people live. Um, and and I visited Bard College, WXBC, and, um, and, and we chose a time on purpose where there wasn't a live show so that we could be in the studio and not disturb anybody. So that's kind of an unfair... Um, or, you know, it doesn't mean that nobody was there all the time. Uh, but I did I did get a chance to hear some live shows at some of these stations over the radio. So like at WCDB, um, they were doing that training show, which I saw. And then I heard um, one of the people that I interviewed, I heard him later on the radio, which is fun. Like, I always enjoy that. This happens to me occasionally where I, I meet up with somebody at a station. And then when I'm driving away afterwards, that person is doing their show. Um, so that's, I love that. Yeah. You get to, you get to meet them two different ways. Jennifer, you just mentioned Bard college, uh, Jennifer waits, you're, you took a trip, uh, on your own behalf, but also on behalf of radio survivor to visit college radio stations in the New York state area. And, uh, I know that you've, you shared with us that when you visited Bard, uh, one of the students you met there is working on their senior thesis on the station history. 
That yes, I was so excited. Um, she uh, Tamar Fagan. She'd actually reached out some colleague to some colleagues of mine on the Radio Pr- Preservation Task Force um, to let us know she was working on her thesis about the Bard College radio station, and and I realized that this was kind of close to where I was going in New York, and so I reached out to her and then realized she was the general manager too of course so the student doing their history thesis on the station is also the general manager and it was so great and really inspiring um i mean this is what i i kind of wish would happen at every college radio station that a history student would write their thesis on the history um so she's uncovered so much interesting stuff in a very short period of time um, including, you know, because she was digging into things, um, somebody on campus in a random closet found a recording of the very first broadcast of the station hmm. in the 1940s. <laughs> That's and, very rare. I know. And she, and it was something that was received later. So I think it was on a cassette tape, but it, like a cassette had been made of a transcription disc at one point. Um, so she played this for me while I was there and it was just incredible. And, and she's also been able to do oral history type interviews with some alums who are from the 19, they graduated in the 1940s. Um, so that's impressive and, too. Yeah. And, and in the process of that, she learned things about her own family members who are in radio that she never knew. Cause she was talking about this project and they're like, Oh, I, I did radio. And she's like, what? So, you know, she had a grandparent who was involved in radio um so yeah it was it, it was really really cool to hear some of this history um and and also you know also hear that that station wxbc is another station that's kind of on an upswing after having a period of relative inactivity and um and often it happens because you have students who are very you know, excited about the radio station, excited about kind of bringing things back and getting people involved. Um, I, like I mentioned, they're on an online platform called MixLR, which has a chat feature incorporated. So I listened to one of the shows before I went out to New York, and it was this great show about the history of goth. And the DJ even like went back and talking, went back to talk about goth in you know what does the term goth mean historically and and talked about gothic architecture and talked about proto-goth bands and and played a bunch of stuff that I never really thought about in the context of goth music so that was cool um uh and and yeah so I you know I left this whole trip being very excited that you know it's not just old people like me and, you know, alums like me who are interested in history. Like, it's great to see students who are interested in history. Um, you know, so she's going to complete this thesis project. They've been also airing some alumni interviews over the air. So, I mean, that's another thing that I've talked to some radio stations about. You know, if you have historical items or historical recordings, how can you bring those to life at your station. So I think that's great too, that it's not, this material is not just living in her 
student project. It's also material that's being shared with listeners um, over their radio station. <clears throat> you mentioned, Jennifer, that WXBC at Bard College is experiencing sort of a renewed, refreshed interest, which seems to be a pattern at the stations that you that you visited. You know, do you, is there something specific at, at WXBC? Do you think they've made some sort of initiative that that uh, made the station more welcoming or, or popular as well, similar to like WCDB? I don't know. I mean, some of this is, uh, I think some of this just has to do with the post-COVID situation where- I wondered that too, yeah. You know, things are just opening up more and people are allowed to congregate again. And, um, you know, the masks, I think at a few places I visited, you know, it was- maybe the beginning of not having to wear masks. Um, so some of it, I think, might be what all of us are experiencing in the world where, you know, we want to be getting together with people again and hanging mm-hmm. out. Um, and, and so radio stations can can serve that purpose. And I think that's an aspect that folks who might not have ever been involved in radio from the production side don't always recognize or understand it. And, and just from a lack of knowledge that, you know, a college radio station, you know, it is a club for that, for all intents and purposes, right. Uh, often formally within a university or college and that the collaboration and the gathering are critical components of it. Even if sometimes some shows or DJs can be a little atomic, right. They just simply come in, they do their thing that isn't necessarily how it is and often you know if there's too much of that sometimes it's not good for the station because it you lose the momentum that collaboration can provide yeah i mean there's a real community i and i think this is like this is what a lot of us struggled with during the height of the pandemic was how do you maintain that sense of community at a radio station Mm -hmm. when community is so vital um you know, like we talk about at WCDB, like people are coming in and hanging out, sitting on the couches. Um, I, I heard a lot about community at, at WCDB and how that's important. And um, the general manager there, she started at the station in fall 2019, and then COVID hit in the spring. And and she, she didn't want to go home for the summer, um, you know, because of the pandemic. And so she ended up crashing on the couch of another person from the station. And so I heard stories about how these friendships were forged and also how people were able to maintain a social life through this, through station connections like that, mm. where they weren't really going out and seeing many other people, but at least she was in a living space with somebody and having a social life. Um, and, you know, similarly at, at WCDB, they talked about these connections with the local music scene. So you have like this pipeline from the radio station where there are people at the radio station who also play in bands in the community. There are alums who book shows, um, people at the station who also do sound at concerts locally. And so it's this whole kind of music ecosystem that's another. You know, so there's like the inside college radio community where you get to make friends, you're hanging out, chatting about music, collaborating on shows. Um, but then you're also collaborating with the music community, the local scene, um, mm-hmm. and how that 
actually becomes this legacy of the radio station where where people are talking about like, oh, yeah, so-and-so used to be GM at the station and now she does this. Um, and so so I think people there feel these connections to this kind of rich, lengthy radio history, which is super cool. Yeah, college radio stations tend to be some of the more integrated college activities, right? Integrated with the community, in my experience, in my observation, because often, right, connection to the music scene, which may involve students who may be in bands or go see bands, but often involves a much wider, um, a much wider milieu, you know, and, and all these other cultural uh, uh, touch points, you know, and, and, and so, you know, there, it, it, I was hoping you, you say something about that so that we don't, I don't want us to inadvertently give off the sense that, that despite the sort of the community nature of radio stations, that they're insular to the station, right? And you're noting all these other touch points and, and how uh, folks will graduate but stay in the community, right? And maybe continue the connections in some ways, um, either formally or informally, right? The passing through and, and knitting out a broader network that expands uh, the old, the ultimate circle. But another, you know, another theme I, I'm hearing in what you're sharing with these visits here, right? You said it. It's important that stations are not frozen in amber, right? That. And that they are evolving with, I mean, ultimately the colleges, the students, and 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 the communities that they're situated in, and and that they serve. And I've I've often thought, and and I'd like to know your take on this, Jennifer. That in times that that, that stations that have faltered and been threatened, at times you it seems as though they often have become fossilized for a number of reasons in in some way they are getting frozen in amber they don't update and sometimes maybe that's due to the fact that there's less student involvement so less fresh blood and you know maybe community volunteers are uh have too much prominence because they also don't leave <laughs> on four-year basis right they stick around longer yeah speaking but also of, maybe speaking maybe of less the, likely to change the gatekeeper uh, topic right. from earlier in the day and paul when you're referring to uh, threatened these stations usually it's a um it's a very interesting historical moment that we've talked about a lot on radio survivor on in the over the years that that but but people might be not be aware of how this how this works uh, out there in the in the world that the the threats usually come from within somehow that the that the university um the powers that be. Yeah, the university, university decides to 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 rid itself of the license if it's a broadcast station, either through a sale or giving it away to another uh, public radio organization, or another organization that they feel might use it. Um, you know, due to perceptions that the the station isn't relevant or isn't relevant to students, or in many cases, it is true that there isn't much activity and right. and and the, and the station isn't uh, thriving and lively, but. It seems that efforts to stay to not be too beholden to the past has the potential to have an opposite effect. What do you think, Jennifer? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. I mean, the other thing I'm also thinking is there's so much onus put on students a lot of the time to kind of maintain mm. the station from year to year, and so you know, I give like so much credit to these students who are spending an inordinate amount of time running and operating radio stations, sometimes without much support. Um, 
so I, I think that can be a real challenge when when you have to rely on students to kind of hold the station up from year to year. And, I, and you know, it's helpful to have an advisor or somebody who can provide mm. um, the the institutional knowledge, you know, so that um, so things keep going. Because, you know, a struggle I hear over and over again is that um, things like instructions for how some of the technology behind the scenes works like doesn't get passed on and so you might have a technical failure and then the station ends up in right. sort of a crisis mode um so i think i think it's complicated i th i think um it's complicated there are a lot of different reasons why stations struggle or why stations survive and uh, and i think that having um having a perspective of being a station for the students who are there now and not being frozen in amber, like we've mentioned. Um, I think that's, I think that's really important. Um, and so some of the stations that I see starting up today are, are operating a little bit differently, like using different technology. Maybe they're mm -hmm. just operating over social media. And, and to me, that's just as legit as an FM radio station, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, people are, uh, brand new stations that I'm encountering that are operating this way are, are kind of meeting students where they are. And that's, I, I think that's probably how they succeed also. That makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, we're running out of time, so I don't want to go too far down this hole, but you mentioned advising. And I think that that probably does provide has a potential to provide um, that continuity, which is much needed. Right. Um, and, and a good advisor will, will do that so that they're enabling the students to own the station truly, to really own what how it is, um, and provide the advice so that you know without being too overbearing, one hopes, and sort of also therefore instituting you know or forcing the past and making forcing the station to be a particular way. And it's a balance, and, and that's any institution, that's any community radio station, that's probably any volunteer operated kind of kind of uh, organization, but. It is a delicate balance, and perhaps it's when the balance is tipped too far one way. One might is is when uh, that is the potential for trouble begins. Well, Jennifer Waits, you took a tour of four radio stations on behalf of Radio Survivor. You were back on the road to visit college radio stations and community radio stations, as you have done. Uh, One hundred and something times in the past, you got to go back out there. Uh, here in 2022, in November of 2022. And um, I guess uh, you're running out of time to summarize it, but I think the insight, I think the main thing you've shared with us is that there's a real, there's a real enthusiasm for college radio. There is. And it, you know, gets me enthusiastic about college radio. And I'm optimistic, as I often am when I visit stations. Well, you've been listening to Radio Survivor here on the radio and as a podcast. You can find past episodes of the show at radiosurvivor.com, where we also uh, have, um, well, we're a podcast that you can subscribe to. This is going to be the first new episode in a in a while. We're 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 getting <laughs> we're putting it out, but the past episodes are all there, both on your podcast app when you subscribe, as well as the website radiosurvivor.com. If you want to reach out to us, we will answer your email. 
podcast at radiosurvivor.com is the email address. On behalf of Paul Reese Mendel and Jennifer Waits, my name is Eric Klein. Uh, thank you so much for listening. It was a pleasure to, to make a fresh episode for the radio show this week. Uh, see you next week. And uh, I wonder if there was anything for the podcast uh, audience at the conclusion, Jennifer. I mean, you also, you went to Wave Farm. Oh, well, and also I would be remiss, uh, we, you know, we were talking about how I visited four radio stations and we only talked about three be- just in the interest of time. But um, in, in case you're wondering what that secret fourth radio yeah. station was, it was WRPI at Rensselaer Polytechnic University in Troy, New York. Um, and as we were talking about kind of community and station spaces, um, something at that station really came to mind. They had a really large room that had a bunch of audio or, you know, like drums and guitars and, you know, equipment um, that you could use to play music with. And, and it sounds like they let some people store their instruments there. Um, They might have some station instruments and, and I've seen this sort of thing before at radio stations, but um, that's another thing I think is really amazing uh, when a radio station has musical instruments right. and and can be a space where people can come to play either a visiting band, you have instruments on hand in case they didn't you know bring gear with them, um, or it's a place where station members can can hang out and play music. And one of the people I talked to today, uh, talked to there, I was snapping photos and you know, asked people where they wanted me to take their photo. And he sat down in that space and started playing a guitar, which was, or, or they, they sat down in that space, start playing a, a guitar, which was really cool. Um, so yeah, that was, that was something that stood out about that station. Another, another thing that stood out was, um, you know, I think I've talked before college radio stations are often hard to find on college campuses and, and I had sort of vague, like, like hard to locate. You yeah, know. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's sort of vague ex- instructions, and um, managed to figure out where the building was. And then I was excited. I got into the building, and I saw a sign for WRPI. And so I knocked on the door or rang a bell. There was no answer. And then I walked around the corner, and then saw the main entrance with the doors open, and realized I'd been knocking on the door of I think this room where all the instruments were and so that apparently is a door where maybe people might do load in sometimes but it's not really an actual entrance Uh, so I was loitering in the exact wrong space Um, but Mm -hmm. I mean it just kind of takes me back to you know when I was touring stations more regularly and just having to be prepared to get lost and confused and be in a building that's like a labyrinth and um, so you know all, all of that is like heartwarming too like oh yeah it's still really difficult to find the radio station in the basement of the building and and then you know that feeling of victory like i made it i found it cool uh rpi troy new york it's so it's more of a uh tech technology university or like uh, engineering university right yeah definitely and i talked to the engineer at the station and their um, their kind of engineering room was super organized and clean and everything just looked spotless and amazing. Um, and I, you know, I talked more about the other stations because I'm further along in, in kind of uh, 
the point of being able to write up stories about them. Um, but WRPI, all of these stations have kind of interesting histories and they, there was an early radio station on campus in the 1920s, um, as you might imagine. And uh, Union College also um, is in Schenectady and General Electric is nearby. And, and that seemed to be a very science oriented campus. So both those schools, I think, had really a lot going on in those early days as far as um, experiments with radio. And, and even, we didn't talk about it, but University at Albany, they, their first uh, radio broadcasts on campus were in the late 1930s when people discovered old speech department equipment that they realized, like a speech department equipment and kind of a soundproof room that they realized, oh, we could use this to do radio. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that too, that it's like, oh, wow, we found this equipment, so let's do radio. And then they were able to... Um, have their broadcasts over a local station in Albany, a local AM station. So they were kind of relaying. I'm not even sure how they did it technologically, but they didn't have their own. They didn't have their own signal, but they were able to send their broadcast to this other local station. Neat. Hmm. So yes, lots of lots of tantalizing things. Um, and Eric mentioned Wave Farm. Um, the whole reason I went out to New York was over the summer, I was invited to be a board member of Wave Farm, which is um, a radio survivor, one of our affiliate stations. And um, and I toured there a few years ago. Uh, so you can read about that tour report. So I was very honored and excited. And so wanted to go to a board meeting in person. So I, I flew out for the board meeting and and then realized wow. that some of these stations that are, you know, of interest to me and historically important were not all that far away. So mm -hmm. it was it was great to be able to not only be at Wave Farm, but also do a bit of radio touring. So, yeah, it was it was fun to be on site. It was fun to stay there. And um, they have a couple rooms above the study center. And Wave Farm is a transmission arts organization and they run radio stations also um and they have a artisan residence program so they have a couple rooms at the study center where artisan residents will stay so i yeah. got to kind of pretend like i was an artist in resident residence and i was down the hall from one of the radio studios for w wgxc so it was fun like in the middle of the night to just kind of wander into the studio and it was dark but all the equipment was still glowing and you know, just imagining like, oh, I could go on the radio right now if I wanted to, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> Rogue board member. I know. <laughs> How fun. fun. Um, I, would, I would love to visit the uh, Wave Farm someday. Oh, yeah, you both should. It's such a treat. And oh, it's, yes. imp it's impossible to really take it all in. Um, they also have, they also have um, installations throughout the property. So we took a hike one night. Um, to go see a fellow board member's piece. Uh, and so we went and listened to it in the dark, uh, which was incredible. Um, Yvette Janine Jackson um, got to hear some of her, of her work in the dark. And it was, it was just amazing, especially in the dark where, you know, it's pitch black. We had a few flashlights, um, but we were listening to these eerie sounds of her composition out there. Outside. Um, yeah. Outside radio, right? That's a. Yeah. Cause it's like, um, 
you know, it's like a forest there. So you walk through the forest, you hike through the forest, and there are a number of sound pieces uh, throughout. So right, we, you've described this in years past that the that they have uh, speakers transmitting the radio signal uh, up in the trees in some some parts of the walk. Oh, um, this is different though. Yeah, there's um, so there's one piece where they have there's another radio station there called Standing Wave Radio, um, and that operates out of this like truck. Uh, so there's that. Um, wow. And then there are other sound pieces that you might be able to hear in the trees. Um, and Yvette's piece, um, so it was, uh, we turn, uh, you turn on the, so it's not, I was wondering about this. It's not broadcasting out there all the time. Cause I was like, is this like scaring the animals? Uh, but we actually turned on the piece before we approached it and then turned it off when we left. So, um, yeah. And then we, and then I think the next day we took a hike to see, pieces in the light of day as well um yeah so there's that to take in and then they have a study center full of lots of books and magazines and records and um audio of you know various formats so i mean you could spend you could spend a lot of time just doing research there in that library which it's all just kind of overwhelming like i i i i I thought about um doing research in that library too, but, you know, I was just so um, kind of exhausted from all the input from the trip that right. I wasn't able to take full advantage. But yeah, it's it's an incredible place. Yeah, what an opportunity. What a neat, yeah, I think Paul said it, like we all, we all have a, a special place in our hearts. That's very exciting, Jennifer, that you're now a part of the, of the Wave Farm organization as a board member. How long is your how, how long is it of a term are you on there? Is it forever? Lifetime oh. appointment? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not sure. It, it just started in July. So Neat. Um, I mean, there have been board members who've been board members for a really long time. And a uh, friend of the show, John Anderson, was a board member until recently. So a few people stepped down and then a few new people have joined. So um, so I'm not serving concurrently with John Nathan Anderson, uh, but he... I saw him at at his final board meeting, which okay. kind of passing the torch. Hello to John Anderson. From yes, the <laughs> the, from time a time shifted hello to John Anderson. Uh, that's so exciting. Yeah, Wave Farm. Uh, I think I think my understanding of sound art has expanded um, because of Wave Farm and their work, and every episode that has been connected with their work that that Radio Survivor has done and. Uh, I'm so glad that we uh, did a fresh episode today, and it reminds me that I hope we can do more soon. Uh, I don't know about 2022, uh, December, December's naps are calling, but definitely in 2023, um, uh, talking more to people involved in the work at Wave Farm and the artists who are creating their sound art at Wave Farm uh, is definitely on my to-do list. That's a wonderful, it's a wonderful dream. Paul, you know, we haven't, it's funny, we're, we're podcasting and uh, we're winding down, but I don't think we've had a fresh episode since you've uh, really engaged in your radio show. It occurred to me 
to to ask oh, you. Well, how I mean, that's I've been going. doing my my radio. I've been doing my radio show for more than a year now, Eric. Yeah, but, but we yes. don't we don't have episodes this year. Oh, I see. I, how's your sure. How's your How's community radio? I, mean, at- I am still going. Uh, yeah, so I'm at Free Forum Portland here, a low power FM station that came in the second wave of low power FM, uh, starting, uh, the station starting getting off the ground in 2014. Eric attended its barn raising, the raising of its antenna. Uh, Freeform Portland has secured a new studio space. So it has been virtual since the beginning of the pandemic. And then uh, there was some inadvertent flooding, a leaky roof that uh, made this, it's, prior studio space unusable so had to remain virtual until recently and so a new studio space has been procured in southeast uh portland uh with a much larger one the the previous one was actually quite tiny uh so basically it was a studio and jennifer you visited there as well yep you know just a small studio and some storage space and so this one is uh has two floors uh space for a main studio as well as auxiliary uh, studios and some gathering areas, and uh, it, they're in the process. Uh, we're in the process of moving in, and there is um, sort of a, a a minimalist studio built right now for folks who want to go live uh, from the studio right right now. Um, it's not fully built out, not built out enough for for my needs at the moment. Sure. <laughs> right. Oh, I was going to say, like be. obviously, Paul Reese Mandel lifetime radio nerd can always have broadcast from home practically always always yes. capable of of recording <laughs> some kind of mini disc in the 90s of of radio at home but for for a lot of people i mean times are changing but it's it's important to have a studio because some people oh, yeah. can't make radio uh in their apartment with their roommates and they need to go somewhere uh, especially younger yeah. people need need a chance to have have a community space that they can they can make a mess in uh, and clean up after themselves, but uh, but yeah. create it. I think everyone's I mean. excited to go live, and and you know, and, and the nice thing about and I think being able to do a virtual verse or live, or uh, in studio or at home, right? Again, it 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 means that we can meet people wherever they are. Yeah. So for folks, you're saying DJs. Whom, you're saying you're meeting DJs. Yeah, where yeah, they are. yeah, yeah. Meet, meet, meeting, meeting programmers uh, where they are. So for for folks for whom mobility might be an issue. Yeah. Although this space is much more accessible as well. The last one was uh, several flights of stairs. Um, but for folks for whom mobility or just simply you know something like childcare uh, or care for another another uh, household member might make it difficult for them to to go to a studio and to be able to do it at home is great. And then for those, as you mentioned, Eric, uh, who, who might have difficulty uh, producing something in their own home or finding a space to produce, having an actual well-tricked-out studio to go to is also great. Owning so I think, one microphone. Yeah, I mean, and I think that we've, you know, I think that that's something that the the pandemic forced upon a lot of community and college radio stations was to sort of embrace technology to stay on the air. There are many stations which were for for very good reasons died in the wool. We are always live. We will not embrace automation. Automation maybe is a slippery slope, 
towards not being live, right? That, that just the convenience of it may be too much of a temptation. So, you know, and I, that, so that although it brings other benefits, let's, we, we don't want to open up that, that door um, to stay on the air uh, with the inability to have people in studios or at least to have most of their volunteers or DJs in studios uh, force them into, into embracing technology, which now perhaps opens up like, opportunities uh and accessibilities yeah. that that might not otherwise exist and and those certainly what i you know perceive at freeform portland is is a great uh, excitement and uh to get back into studios to get back and being live noting that a, a good percentage of the current volunteers came on during the pandemic Wow, like that's started wonderful. being DJs and, uh, during the height of the pandemic, during the quarantine, shall we say, part of the pandemic. And then, you know, uh, for the listeners' benefit, but also it's a show topic all of its own. How do people listen to? Uh, how do people listen to your radio shows? Okay. How are how are you archiving <laughs> they, them? Uh, they are archived at uh, at Mixcloud. Uh, currently, you can find it via the uh, radio shows, uh, my, my uh, alter egos website, which is uh, scumbagradio.xyz. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Mixcloud recently changed its terms. That's a whole nother. And you know, uh, that's a whole whole nother uh, rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah, and, uh, and perhaps might, should not. But right, but we might have an obligation to to history to at least mention it because we did have a. You know, one of our one of our interesting episodes five years ago was we had on uh, I, I forget the job title. It was the CEO of Mixcloud, and we had no. It's but no, it's like an engagement person, right? They got someone who who an audience who works with creators who um, yeah, who to talk about Mixcloud, which is a platform for sharing DJ mixes, but ultimately yeah. has been used by college radio. Uh, you know, community radio, lots of radio people as a way to make their programs available on demand. Um, you know, it was a corporate uh, service. Just a live stream. It was a corporate. It was a corporation that was providing you know cloud storage space for audio, and also was uh, uh, claiming in a credible way to take care of the the licensing issues of streaming music. So that all of a sudden, here was a free and available resource for all sorts of DJs throughout all sorts of communities, including community radio, to post. To post an hour or two every every day of the music that they were sharing, and the well, I mean, it's a show topic all of its own, and we're not being thorough about it. But the news is that Mixcloud uh, is no longer going to provide that service for free on, on an unlimited basis to right, to its yes. users. If you want to have more than what was it, two ish or four ish hours? No, they allow you to keep like yeah, up to ten individual mixes. I think it's a right. fairly generous amount, but that that's the the amount that can be freely uh, stored and made available. Um, right. Otherwise, there will be a monthly fee. So there, uh, which is, in my opinion, all things considered, since we're not on the radio here, I can uh, we'd be more free. Right, it's still actually a fairly reasonable amount of money, all things considered. Um, right. And we're not giving. Because, we're not trying yeah. to give a it's particular corporation some kind of free advertising, but yeah. it it is useful. It's it's also just interesting historically, right? Because I remember uh, it's it seems so silly, and I feel so old. But SoundCloud went through a very similar like 
like mm-hmm. little arc of usability where they at some point shut down the amount of you know free storage they were providing and you had to you know you you'd have to subscribe to their service if you wanted to continue to host you know unlimited amounts of audio right ultimately somebody has to pay the bill I mean, like, you know, and, and, and what's important to note is that, say, say with a DJ mix on Mixcloud, it's important and, and required by law that the that the musicians whose music is being shared are compensated for the use of their music. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, someone has to pay that bill. And if it's free to you, it means somebody else is paying it. And it can be paid through a number of different ways, but that's it, you know, in the same way that, you know, we've noticed how YouTube we've talked about has used this pirate radio, but YouTube will shut down streams or shut down or, 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 you know, put limits on, um, streams or programs that are using music that, that basically isn't cleared. And, you know, of course, YouTube is paying the bills through advertisements and they have agreements with some major labels um, and, and other labels so that you can play music on on a stream, but not everything is cleared for use. Yeah. And also, if you're a YouTube creator who is making money, um, if you're using somebody else's music, uh, you lose the ability to monetize. You lose the ability yeah. to make money. I have a- so anyway, it's ultimately the point is, you know, uh, and I think we questioned the Mixcloud person, you know, years ago when they were on to say, how are you doing this? How are you able to offer this service, which for which there are costs and the cost could be substantial free to all of these folks. And, and, and they said that they were able to pay through by advertising. And I suspect they were also relying on venture funding right. on investors who, after a certain amount of time, uh, start saying, well, uh, you know, maybe there's some other funding needs to enter the right. venture. You've, you've built the platform. It now has a constituency and uh, maybe we can get a dollar or 10 from them to, yeah. keep this, to keep the lights on. Well, you know, it's an interesting moment in uh, in the history of radio on the internet, and so I'm glad we, we sort of put it on record here in 2022. Um, thanks for podcasting, guys. It was wonderful to see you, and thank you to the audience uh, for listening. Uh, you know, I it's it's still an open question in my mind, right, as to as to what is the status of our project. Uh, but but we're still here. Uh, we're still here this week, and so. Uh, Thank you for listening.